The car you drive every day should be fun. But it has to do the boring stuff too, like commute, be affordable, and haul your groceries. You can have both, and we'll help you find it. I'm Todd. I'm Paul. And this is the Everyday Driver Car Debate. It is a very intriguing time to be a car enthusiast with the <laughs> dichotomy of tech and the love for manual transmissions that we continually yep. come across. I'm, yep, waiting for, I'm waiting for some car company to redefine themselves by platform rather than by class of vehicle necessarily. But, you know, trucks get all gasoline or diesel engines and SUVs are you mm. got your choice. And if you want a small car from that company, it's all electric. That's your only choice. And then maybe oh, there's I see what you're one doing. enthusiast yeah. offering. You know, they, they redefine the platform rather than mm. trying to make all things to all people because – I, yeah, it's so intriguing. At, at the start of a new year, there's always fresh new concepts. We're talking mainly about the North American International Auto Show that's going on in Detroit. So that's the 2017 show. A lot of news coming out of there. A lot of, you know, <laughs> surprises and new yeah, things. Yeah, yeah, It's still going on. And we're just intrigued by, as a matter of fact, two things, two pieces of news. But before we mm -hmm. jump into that, we are doing a couple of, of debates to, with this podcast We've got Brad in Southeast Michigan. He is uh, he's going shopping for a new car, but the ultimate goal here is a car he can pass down to his teenage daughter who's going to be driving soon, which will be mm -hmm. fun yep. to talk about. Yep. And then we've also Definitely. got Nathan in Denver. Nathan, I admit, you got me with the Denver Broncos logo in your, your email avatar there. I, uh, yeah, having grown up in Colorado, <laughs> yeah. I just, I clicked on that, thought, ah, and, you know, fortunately, what a great debate here. He's 26, looking for a new car, and he's picky about his cars and picky about his women and really wants something uh, that he's going to really like. I I think yeah. we all yeah. are, are we not? Uh, well, but I mean, he's having that debate of, I like this for these reasons, but it doesn't check these boxes. This car's not attractive enough. That one's attractive enough, but not powerful enough. I mean, he, you're being picky, which is fine, but uh, you've also gone through kind of the standard list of usual suspects here. So uh, we'll, I look forward to talking about that for Nathan, for sure. Yes, and as we jump into some news items, as you might have heard by now, Todd and I are going to Velocity Channel in North America in the U.S. as of second quarter of 2017, so huge announcement for us. We are on our way, everyone, yeah. and really, really no excited kidding. by this. By the way, there are still some sponsorship and advertising opportunities available, so please contact us if you know somebody or have interest in that. We actually do have a page. If you're curious to know more details about sponsorship of the television show, we don't have a lot of opportunity left, but there is some still left. You can find it on our website under the About page now. There's a sub-page that is just basic contact info and information about the TV show is right there. You'll see the TV show tab is now available there. So if you're curious, that's the where to point somebody so they can figure out how to get to the right person. So we can follow up on that if you would like. Uh, but, yeah, you were going to go to uh, the other bits of news that uh, we've been very curious about. So keep going. Well, yeah, it's uh, two notable ones. And that is, first of all, one of the favorites that Todd always talks about, the Chevy SS sedan is yep. dead. It's dead, everyone. Well, I know. I know. And, and, and our friend Mark Butler has been updating his uh, long-running uh, drinking game that goes with the show. And uh, one of the things he updated it with was the number of times I mentioned the Chevy SS. So now <laughs> I'm going to follow the drinking game theme and just say we have to pour one out on the curb for my friend the Chevy SS, who is finally <laughs> dying. I mean, honestly, I'm not surprised it's dying. Well, yeah. I mean, that means if you want one, now is the time to get yourself a deal. But, um, but however... I have to contrast that. I, I know you thought of this, too. I have to contrast the death of the Chevy SS for, frankly, lack of interest. I mean, if we have to think about a reason, it's lack of interest. It's a great car, but clearly they're not selling. They were practically giving them away low, below MSRP to begin with. And in contrast to that news, it's like all hail the, the, the rear-wheel drive king is dead. All hail the rear-wheel drive king. Because yeah. Kia then shows up and goes, well, we're going to sell one anyway. I find that fascinating. I'm really intrigued with this, too, because so often we've gotten emails about, hey, guys, I'm looking for a manual transmission, rear-wheel drive, sedan, four-door. Mm -hmm. And our choices yep. as enthusiasts are very limited. I mean, it's kind of coming Extremely. down to BMW or nothing. And the Stinger is awesome. No surprise, it was designed by the European team in Germany, in Frankfurt, for Kia. By the way, everyone, Peter Schreier from Audi 
has been mm-hmm. head of design for Kia for a number of years now. Are you surprised Kias are really good looking now? I mean, they found their voice. They're they're far past that. They're they're actually desirable now, everyone. <laughs> mm-hmm. And no, you're right. here we are. The only shot against the Stinger is that I, at this point, I don't see that it includes a manual transmission. But okay, yeah, don't it think it will still be. Yeah. gets a pass because what a beauty. It's a rear-wheel yeah. drive yeah, or yeah. all-wheel drive, full-on sedan with power and Kia. I mean, this thing is going to cost mm-hmm. as much as the fully option Porsche 911, just just what you pay for the options on a 911. That's probably what <laughs> it'll right. cost. You're, you're right. It'll be – you can get options on someone else's 911 or you could buy yourself a Kia Stinger. I mean, you're right. It'll be automatic just like, you know, we're, we've got the, the Julia coming that is also only automatic. <clears throat> While that's a bummer, it's not too much of a surprise. Uh, I mean, you know, as much as we love that – or I love, I'll, I'll be honest. I won't put group you in with me. As much as I've loved that Chevy SS. I mean, here's the other thing about it. Let's be honest. I love the Chevy SS and yet I'm not buying one. Right. It's just not a car that right. that is in my my world. But if you want a sedan, I do find it fascinating that in this world where this kind of stuff doesn't really sell, both Alpha and Kia, who have been non-players in this segment, are popping up with, don't you <laughs> want to buy this very attractive rear-wheel drive uh, four, four-door? Interesting. <laughs> I mean, I, I find it so funny because clearly the SS is no longer a business case for Chevy. But mm-hmm. here are these other two cars, these other companies you mentioned, where the executives are thinking that the enthusiasts are going to want them and people are going to sign up and we'll just have to wait and see. Of course, we've got to get our rear ends in those cars. We've got to drive these agreed. cars. No, agreed. Well, and I see, you know, I look at the profile of this and, and, and these are not bad places to, to reference, but I see some, you know, some Jaguar in the front quarter panel. I see some, you know, Audi A7 a little bit in the back three quarter. I mean, it, but it feels that nice. As you said, it's European design team. It feels European. It feels athletic. And yet it's a sedan. I mean, how many boring sedans are there in the world? Here this is looking interesting and rear wheel drive. I actually love this front end too. I mean, that's got presence. Oh, so yeah. I'm so intrigued by this. And I, you know, one of the things you and I have talked about forever on this show is we don't care what the badge is. Yeah. We, we almost wish we lived in a world where let's just drive the cars that are great, forget what the badge is on the hood. That's a nice challenge with this car. Mm-hmm. You Although know, because nobody will mistake w- a Porsche for, you know, say a Kia, but, you know. Well, I, I, yes, I know. Yes, I realize that. There are those things. You see kidney grills, you know BMW. But my point is, just because it has a badge or doesn't have a badge that you associate with a good driving car doesn't mean it is a good driving car or not. And, you know, here's Kia coming out swinging for the fences. I mean, I hope, you know, both Kia and Hyundai for a while have been you've been the also-rans, you know? Mm-hmm. They've, they've been very close. I keep waiting for them to have something that just knocks it out of the park. I would love it if this is it. I just – I think to myself with the established design cues and the kinds of sheet metal that the Koreans have brought us in years past, this looks nothing like a Korean car to my eye. It looks mm. very European. There's a lot of resolution. There's very familiar shapes. If we, if we walk around this car, we could attribute a lot of you know, these elements or this particular element to another car that we've seen. But okay, mm-hmm. they're – pushing forward. I, I'm fine with it. I just, I'm wondering about as much as I like it and as cool as it looks, is it Kia's design language? Is it theirs? Or are they looking too closely at what makes a great looking European car? I, I well, pose that for, but, for thought. But I say who cares? But I say who cares? I mean, you and I have talked about forever. Or, well, I feel like we talked about for, I feel like we talked about all this stuff forever because you and I have. We're getting that place where I'm not sure what we've shared. But, you know, I the 300ZX is the one that I beat on this drum a lot. And that is that is the one that I had, the Z32, is the exception in the d- design language of that list of cars. And yet I think it is the most attractive one they've ever made. Mm-hmm. So everything else is, well, it's got to have a long hood and it's got to be, you know, it's got to feel like it's front engine. That Z32 suddenly looks kind of more like a mid-engine car and it's the sexiest one. I think that car companies shouldn't be tied, and yes, I am looking at the 911 as well when I say this. I feel like car companies shouldn't have to be tied to, does this look like the prior generation? Does it look like our language? Just make a cool-looking car. 
Yes. And I, I love that they're doing that. Yes, to a point, although, you know, some established design cues do help, like BMW's Hoffmeister kink, their kidney grills, as sure. you said. Now the tiger nose shape of the grill on Kia's. Everybody does mm-hmm. have their thing that they've got to incorporate. Otherwise, it will be it'll be a maelstrom. It'll be a storm of cars. Nobody really will really know whose is what. But past those design elements to incorporate I'm kind of with you. You know, try some new stuff and and push your own, you know, sophistication. Push your own design language as well. Mm-hmm. And that's what they've done here. The Stinger is, man, it's knocking it out of the park for me. And, and everybody is thinking, Kia? I want mm-hmm. a Kia? I've never said that, but I guess I do now. I mean, this looks like uh, Audi-ish and... Looking at the interior now and the materials, and I'm thinking, wow, <laughs> this is great. Yeah, and, and I have to come back around full circle because, look, we haven't seen all the specs on this. I don't know how big it is. <laughs> when I see some of these photos from the Detroit Auto Show, and I wish I was there in person specifically for this car, this doesn't look small either. This looks like it's every bit as big as that Chevy SS, which brings me back to the question of who's going to buy this? Mm-hmm. I, and, I, and I don't mean that to be tacky. I mean, the, there are plenty of good cars. Chevy SS, obviously, is the one we're talking about tonight. But there are plenty of others have died because of lack of interest. I am so excited about this car existing, but let's just hope people buy it. And if it ends up as a similar size to the SS, I, I do find there is big irony here in that Chevy looks at the SS and goes, yeah, there's no business case. We're not selling enough. While Kia takes the same segment and goes, you know what we need to do? Sell one of those. <laughs> I just I think that's fascinating. <laughs> All the stuff that GM hasn't tried that Kia has, they're going to swap, you know, and vice versa. So we've tried that yeah. segment. That didn't work for us. Now we're going to swap. Everybody's going to try each other's market segments on for size and see how that goes for them. So, yeah, exactly. All right. Well, and I actually think what you said before, and I'm kind of teasing you a bit, what, I, what you said before would be interesting. It would be interesting to have you break this design down at some point. We've got to figure out a venue for that where you can break this design down and just go, doesn't this look like this? And doesn't that look like this car? I love mm-hmm. that those kind of breakdowns that – a lot of the times it doesn't even strike me until you break it down. And speaking of random design, can we also talk about the Camry? <laughs> I mean, yes. it's from the world of that Prius <laughs> that we hate. And now it's like whoever it, – it's that same – what is this design language? It's that same kind of front-end nose thing on the uh, – what? I, I, I'm, I'm at a loss. You Please help me here. I, I will do my best, but I was uh, scrolling around on Facebook and watched the interview with Ian Cartabiano on Jalopnik. They interviewed him while he was at the Detroit Auto Show here about the Camry. Turns out he is one of the lead designers for that car and also the NASCAR version of it. Ian was an upperclassman with me at Art Center College of Design in California, and uh, I always admired his design, his work ethic. He, he's a great designer and has been with Toyota since the beginning of his career. I think, yeah, almost 20 years, long time now. Great designer, as I said, and I think, all right, so Ian's responsible for this, all right? I'm coming into that with <laughs> a lot of respect, and as much as I hate the Prius, and will give Toyota no quarter on the Prius styling. I come, to, <laughs> I come to the Camry with a different viewpoint because it turns out Ian's one of the lead designers on this car, okay. if not the design okay. lead. And I think, all right, it's hard to get a project brief dropped on your desk that says, take this boring car that is bought by pretty much non-car enthusiasts as, you know, 18 feet of car and mm-hmm. – they they said, make it interesting, bring it upscale a little bit, make it so more people want to buy it, and justify your design language, satisfy Toyota as a company. And Ian's a car guy. He's an enthusiast. Try to satisfy your yeah. own desires yeah. and car enthusiasts worldwide. Go. And so yeah. his explanation. I mean, good luck to you there. I hear that. Yeah. He came yeah, yeah. with a uh, – from a design language – they were looking at a ballerina, whereas Japanese designers traditionally look at nature, themes in nature. He said the core of a ballerina on a balance beam or something like that with the stability and, and strength and then, I'm paraphrasing, but sort of more graceful lines and wispier lines extending out from that core 
and letting that thinking evolve their design language. They came up with a black roof for it, which he said was part of their sketching from early on. And uh, I, some of the some of the parts of the car I actually like, and there's some surfaces in there I really do appreciate. Whereas some other parts, I feel like they just kind of went too far. But then, if they don't go far mm-hmm. enough, everybody will call it boring, and just yet the the next generation. So here we yeah, are with but, a oh gosh. Uh, a different look for Camry. Camry is trying on new clothes just like Kia is. You realize this? Mm-hmm. They're stepping out with a Camry that has been traditionally, I mean, a close runner-up to the Corolla in terms of boring cars. But yeah. you can't yeah. say it's uninteresting. Interesting can be good or bad, just like, you know. Agreed. No, <laughs> your, you're right. Your Absolutely. <laughs> people's newborn babies, they say, isn't this kid cute? And not all newborns are cute. They just aren't. So here's yeah. this newborn, and we have to look at it with a critical eye. I want to <laughs> see it on the road. I hope it evolves and con- continues to transform. And then maybe the more we see it, the more we like it. Maybe that happens. But I, I appreciated well, Ian's when, perspective. I just – I mean, we, <laughs> it's a balance, you're, right? You're, you're trying. You know, it's funny because I, I see you trying as somebody that knows the him personally and also knowing his design background and knowing design. I see you trying to – to see how they got here. Obviously, I can't bring any of that to the equation. I have to say, and look, of course, we're looking at photos. We're not seeing this in the metal, and that actually changes it as well. But I think the profile, I mean, it's simple, but the the actual sheer profile of it, the side view of it, is kind of nice. This front is some sort of, you know, what happened to the Lexus Predator grill when we added an extra piece to it. I just, I don't (laughs) understand why the Camry ever in a million worlds needs this many front intakes. (laughs) <laughs> I, I I cannot I cannot reconcile the front to save myself, and I and I'm looking honestly at the bottom the bottom corner massive vents there as if they are venting the disc brakes of some incredible sports car and going why is that there why on earth is that there <laughs> sure so sure. just oh man this is going to be an interesting one to see in the flesh in the metal as it is and uh, I do not like the front but you're right it's going to be everywhere. It's going to be everywhere. But it, yeah. There is something there is something about polarizing design that you have to give kudos to, but wow and yuck are the words <laughs> I'm leaving us with. I mean, think about I, I temper my comments on this one because I think well, knowing Ian did it, what if that design brief were given to me and it were me doing sure. the the sure, design it's hard, yeah. critiquing sketches and trying to lead this boring car into the next century and Probably knowing yeah. the next generations will have different drivetrain platforms and then comparing that against how many design cliches are already out there, how many surfaces have already been tried, sure. what is considered fresh now, and what mm-hmm. is Toyota DNA? What does a Camry look like? What are the styling cues of a Camry that are always <laughs> oh, there? BMW always has those kidney grills. We know it's a BMW. What is Camry DNA? Go ahead. So for that reason, I say bravo, Ian. <laughs> But I'm I. It's hard. The for mood me to love board it. for the Camry. The mood board of a Camry <laughs> is a picture of a just opened tub of vanilla ice cream <laughs> next to a picture of a perfectly still lake on a foggy morning. There you go. Inspiration <laughs> for Camrys everywhere, and we're done. There's your Camry wow. mood board. <laughs> wow. I am. What is a fascinated. Camry? It is those two images in car form. Be inspired, then take a nap. Yes, Camry. <laughs> The inspirational will wear you out, and you'll have to take a nap. <laughs> oh, yuck. Okay, we should do some car debates before we dig ourselves even more holes, but uh, it is interesting to see this stuff drop, and I'm always intrigued when we see it from afar. I want to see it in person, but I think we're all kind of universally intrigued by this stinger, and yet, right on the heels of the death of the SS, I find the, the combination of those two realities fascinating. Learn the Stinger was tuned on the Nürburgring Nordschleife, and uh, in relation to that, we will keep you posted on adventures for 2017. We're still to be determined on a few of these dates. So speaking of Nürburgring, we we are definitely going in 2017. We just don't know the exact dates yet, so still pending Mm -hmm, on that mm -hmm. one, but uh, but certainly keep you posted. 
we're going to push to do some sort of Euro, I mean, pardon me, instead of European trip, we're going to hopefully add one that will be a domestic U.S. trip. That is also pending uh, based on us locking in some dates. So uh, we will let you know that as well. But wow, yes, Germany sometime in September. Let's uh, let's hope Germany and Belgium both. And uh, we'll let you know dates, as Paul said. Absolutely. All right, here we go. Diving in with a card of eight from Brad, who, as I mentioned, is in southeast Michigan. He has a huge commute, grand total of eight miles from his house. Eight so, whole uh, miles. <laughs> anything that he gets is not going to be really racking up the miles. So that's the good news here. True. Yep. He's yep. got an HHR, the High Heritage Roof, designed by Brian Nesbitt, the same guy who brought you the PT Cruiser. Brian is now second in command, I believe, at General Motors and doing a lot better stuff these days, from what I understand. <laughs> Nowhere Thanks, to go but Brian. up. Come on. You start with the HHR. <laughs> Woohoo! And, and, and didn't, didn't you tell me, or did somebody else tell me, that the HHR was done after GM looked at the PT Cruiser over at Chrysler and went, that's a success. We ought to get us one of those, <laughs> which is one of the worst, worst managerial decisions ever. You looked at a PT Cruiser and said, anything other than get it away from me? Let's make yes, our own. That's they, a terrible they, idea. They poached the designer and the design all at the same time and gave the world the HHR, which Brad has, but uh, it's finally time. Apparently, it continues to deteriorate, and uh, he's really ready. <laughs> so here's the big story is that his teenage daughter is going to be driving in just three years, so this mm -hmm. next car will likely end up as hers. So therefore, yeah. at that point, he can get himself something better. Brian, you'll have to write back at that point. But uh, sorry, Brad. Um, I had Brian Nesbitt on the brain there. Um, but uh, he's looking for something in the budget of ten thousand, possibly twelve. If uh, mm -hmm. you know, if he mm -hmm. doesn't throttle the Paul limiter there, and uh, we can really help him. <laughs> which which we will. We're just going to blow through the Paul. Of course, limiter. we will. For those of you drinking along at home, we apologize again. Keep going. <laughs> All right, so this car, uh, all-wheel drive if possible, because he's in Michigan, front-wheel drive if not. Uh, he likes coupes. Two plus two could work. He likes hatches. He's been considering a lot. He sent us a list of previously owned cars, and I had to look up a Dodge St. Regis. If you don't know what a Dodge St. Regis is, I implore you to not look one up from 1979. I submit your... I submit you're better off if you don't know what that is. I, I think it's just one of those, oh, good, I, I missed that bullet. Let's keep moving. Yep. Wow. Uh -huh. Variety of cars here. And uh, then he, uh, Brad wrote back to us and said, hey, an update. Uh, he drove a 2012 Focus Titanium hatch. Uh, he also was interested in a Mazda CX-7 and a Suzuki SX-4, which we mm -hmm. talked about early in the Everyday Driver timeline. But uh, yeah, we're we're kind of all over the map, but we're limited to about 12k. I'm uh, I'm gonna stick to 12k because I found a lot, surprising amount of cool cars and cool options. So again, keep in mind this is for the eight mile commute one way for Brad, mm -hmm. but then he's gonna be handing it down. And so really, Brad, what I'm at is. The insurance discussion, of course, you've got to look into, sure. yeah. you know, yeah, yeah. calculating what this car, of course, it's hard to, to predict what car, what this will cost your daughter in three years or still cost mm -hmm. you, in other words. But uh, the other thing I think you should do is take her shopping with you. Whatever you do. I think it's excellent. Yeah. Take her shopping. Make it a, a father-daughter trip. And uh, you could even allude to this, you know, hey, we're, we're shopping for me, but what interests you and start getting her brain thinking yeah. and that kind of thing. It could be really fun uh, for the two of them. Yeah, what, what is she like and why would be an intriguing, would be definitely an intriguing uh, question. And, you know, you might end up with a car enthusiast for a daughter, which, you know, that would be intriguing as well. But I, I do think that is a, a nice twist. Uh, I actually came up with a few of this on as well. Um, I think we've got just enough money to play with in this equation. I mean, obviously, we always want more. But I actually like that one of the ones he's looking at on the shortlist is the Honda CRZ. That's just not a car that comes up in discussion very much, and it is really interesting for this for this discussion. I mean, honestly, you're going to have to check the um, the safety ratings on that car. It's obviously a tiny car. I know with first time drivers, a lot of parents are very concerned about safety ratings above all, and I totally get that. I just think of that car as minute, but I don't think that. I mean, don't 
in any way suggest that that means it's unsafe. I just, that car always strikes me as really small. But at the same time, there's a lot of things I like about that car. It's much better than a lot of people realize. So I like that he at least brought up the CRZ. I honestly wouldn't have thought of it, but I'm glad you're considering it. What else, uh, what was on your brain though, Paul? I had a lot strike me here. And uh, again, I really didn't uh, didn't look at the 10 grand. I just went straight for the 12, of course. It's me after Oh, wow, all. we're shocked. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so I started at the Honda Fit Sport. I thought, all right, something, you know, safe. Safe in sure. every regard, sure. every category that you yeah. can apply yeah, yeah, safe yeah. to. You know what I mean? Styling, mm-hmm. interior, insurance, all that stuff. Then <laughs> I moved to the Veloster Turbo, the Hyundai Veloster Turbo. And all these cars, interestingly enough, I looked at, are at 2013 models. So... The 13 Hyundai Veloster Turbo. And I thought, okay, what else What else can you get for 12 grand? And mm-hmm. by the way, I didn't bump that at all. I, st- I stuck with the 12, well, except for the very last one. But, you know. <laughs> <laughs> you, didn't, you didn't blow the Paul limiter. Wait, yes, you did. Well, so there are people drinking now. Keep going. Yeah, go on. Did you know Chevrolet Volts, the 2013 Volt, can be had for 12 grand with 35,000 miles on it? That's a mm. real car, everyone. A real car, and we like the Volt. We like the second gen Volt, but the very first one, which we liked as soon as we drove it, you can get a Volt for twelve grand. You can get a Leaf yep. for twelve grand. A twenty thirteen Nissan Leaf, twenty one thousand miles for twelve grand. So I thought, okay, we've got hybrid, we've got electric choices, and then we've got to have something fun and interesting. So what about a Fiat five hundred Abarth, twenty thousand miles? I found one in Salt Lake City. At Ken Gar Fiat, twelve thousand dollars in white with red wheels, five-speed Did transmission, really? twelve grand. Bring it. I mean, huh? <laughs> Did you? Did you realize all these cars have fallen that far? And I think yeah, that's shocking. Honestly, enjoy the Abart. You can teach your daughter to drive a manual transmission. Remember the thing that I said at the very beginning? We're gonna yeah. be. You know, this this divergent society in terms of the stuff we love, but the enthusiasts are really going to love uh, manual transmissions, and I think it's an, mm-hmm, an important mm-hmm. life skill to have. So what an opportunity to get your daughter into something fun and sporty. I mean, white with red wheels. Done, right? Interesting. What a cool that's, car. That's more interesting than I expected. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, of course, obviously being sold in Salt Lake, so there's a front-wheel drive reality that is doing just fine in the snow. We have had just – well, you probably heard about it. Different places in the nation, it's been snowmageddon this past week, and yes. we've been struggling with that a little bit. And, and you know, so there's a – yeah, a front-wheel drive, a uh, little hot hatch that, that's obviously doing fine in the snow. Interesting. You know what you just made me think of, though? Talking mm. about a life skill that is manual transmission, I just had this thought. It, it's never struck me before right this minute. Jump 20, 30 years in the future. Okay. There may be people let, – let me, let, me, let me caveat for a second. Jump 20, 30 years in the future. Let's all assume that what we're guessing right now is going to happen, meaning there's going to be a lot of ride sharing that is autonomous. Right. right. Okay? That suggests – if that's right, 20, 30 years in the future, we will all know people who have never driven. Yeah. Forget manual transmission for a second. I've never driven a car. <laughs> I mean, I I know plenty of people that don't know how to drive manual. I mean, I hate that I do, but I know 20, 20 people don't know how to drive manual. I know plenty of people that don't know how to drive well. But I even know a few people who haven't been on airplanes, which has become even more rare. You do? But I don't know that I know anybody that has not driven. So think about a world where you'd meet somebody and they're just like, yeah, I've never, I've never driven a car. Forget manual for a minute. They don't know how to do it. Yeah. That's wow. just bizarre. So you are passing on an interesting life skill that I, I'd be very curious entering your daughter into this conversation to know how intrigued is she by this. Um, I, I like that, Paul. All right, keep going. Brad, Fiesta STs can be found for $14,000. Just saying. <laughs> <laughs> and I'll well, stop there. You know, that's awesome. You know, what's funny about that is that the, the funny thing about 
him buying this and his daughter using it is that thankfully those little turbos are far less of a problem for your 16-year-old daughter than your 16-year-old son when it comes to insurance. Now, it's yeah. still going to be high, yeah. but it's not going to be – you're not going to be quite as bent over for the cost of that for your daughter driving it. But, oh, my gosh, you're putting it in Fiesta <laughs> ST, which would be crazy fun for Brad now and for her later. But, wow, that's scary. The money okay. you save on insurance right. – or the money you save on the car will promptly be spent on the insurance. So, all right, whatever. Yeah. Yeah, well, I thought of I thought of a couple, and again, I want to go back to the ones that he actually brought up. Uh, Brad's three that he mentioned, I think, are all very solid choices: Honda CRZ, Mazda three. We've talked about more times than I can count. Excellent choice. Uh, Volvo C30, interesting choice. I know somebody that's owned one for a long time. He's had kind of average reliability with it. They are cool little cars. So if your daughter likes that, they are fun little cars to drive. They have kind of a, I would say they have a this isn't a perfect analogy, but they have a fun quotient like a Golf. But yet they're much more interesting looking. So they're not the most fun thing, but they're a genuinely fun, chuckable hatch. And they look great. So I think that's a really good option. And it doesn't come up very much. I have two. Okay. One is, what about a used, of course, because we're dealing in, in less than 12 grand. But what about a used Acura RSX? Oh. That's the little good Acura Coupe. Yeah. Look, it, it's a it's a Honda. It's going to run. I mean, most of these we're talking about at this point, yeah, they're 10-year-old cars, but they're going to run. They're they're interesting, nice looking. I mean, they're, they're a good-looking car for a girl to drive, for a guy to drive. It's just a good-looking car. I knew a guy that had one for years and it was it hardly ever gave him a problem. He had problems like, "Oh, I got to replace the battery. Oh, look, that light went out." I mean, these were his issues with this car. So, you know, I think that's a, that's a genuine option that it's surprising how many of those are out there if you start shopping for them at this price point. I love all of the, the hybrids and that kind of stuff that you found, Paul, but I'm just looking at these Acuras here. And, you know, they vary. You have the base ones that look you know, pretty simple, but you have some other ones at the same price that look like little sports cars. Yeah, they're front-wheel drive, but they're cool little cars. I think that's a kind of a lot of car for your money option. And then I had one that it's almost a wild card, but I like it a lot. Because you brought up the Suzuki, Brad, as a car that you were thinking about, the Suzuki SX4, which we've driven, and it's a decent little car. But it's a, it's a base little car. I mean, it's, it's like the base interior feel of the Fiesta ST without the Fiesta ST fun. Now, it is all-wheel drive. <laughs> but, I mean, wouldn't you say, Paul? I mean, It's like a trip about? to the we're dentist about... without the candy at the end. Yes. Well, well it's it. not that bad. I mean, but, but yeah. So, But you brought that up, and that suddenly made me – uh, think of something, and so I looked it up. A car that gets massively overlooked. I see one or two every winter here in Salt Lake. But you talked about maybe wanting all-wheel drive. You brought up the SX4, and then I went, "Wait a minute, Suzuki Kazashi." Oh, this was right. a car that they released. That is their little sedan. It's it's a step up from the SX4. It's their little all-wheel drive sedan. That is, if you think about it, kind of somewhere in the neighborhood of the current Honda Civic sized. But they released that car about 12 months before they decided to leave the U.S. market. So, honestly, I have no idea where you get this service that's like a dealer. You can't. But there's plenty of mechanics that can work on it. It's not like it's you know made with gold pieces or anything strange. But the Kazashi is a great-looking car. They are all-wheel drive. And at $10,000, you have your pick, my friend. There are tons of them. If you're considering the SX-4, I say scrap the SX-4, stay with Suzuki, Go Kazashi. It's a better car. I remember driving on a track before they scuttled the, the brand in the U.S. and being genuinely impressed by it. Hmm. So it gets overlooked all the time. I see them driving around Salt Lake. And the ones I'm talking about now, I mean, look, if we go that Acura, you're looking at a 10-year-old car. You go this Kazashi, you're looking at a 5- or 4-year-old car. Yeah. And they have very low miles. So I think the Kazashi is a little bit of a wild card because I know it's not a brand that, that hangs on. But since you brought them up, I think that's an interesting place to go. They are good looking. They always turn my head. The rare ones that I see, I think, mm -hmm. they really nailed the styling, the proportions on that car. They just did. Yep. And, and it's, it's gone. It's solid to drive. It's very solid to drive. And the best part is in the future when the internet needs to be rebooted and all of our autonomous ride-sharing eggs grind to a halt, your Acura and your Suzuki will still run. So that's the other good thing. <laughs> good news, yeah. right? Frightening, yeah. Uh, I hear you. Okay, yeah, all right. Uh, we're, we're out in the weeds a little bit, but I'm with you. Okay, all right. Uh, well, uh, guys, uh, thank you so much for listening. Will you please rate and review the podcast as we're moving along here with the show? 
that always helps us. And it's always nice to hear your feedback, good or bad. We're always, uh, yeah, listening and uh, reading your comments and want to know what uh, what we can do to improve. And, and hopefully you're enjoying it. So rating and reviewing really helps us out uh, as uh, as you have a listen. And thanks for joining us, as always. We, we really appreciate it. So anyway. Definitely, definitely. We'll keep we rocking should, uh, We should move on to uh, to Nathan in Denver, who is writing, and, and Nathan's picky, which is interesting because, I, and I don't mean this as a slap, I really don't, but Nathan's being really picky. He's coming out of a 2007 Honda Civic Coupe. So you're not coming out of a rock star vehicle, but one of the big things for you is you want to make sure, if you're going to spend money on your next car, you want to make sure it's a car that pretty much every time you're in it, it's better than that Civic. Mm-hmm. Okay, yep. that's a fair bar. That's a fair bar. And uh, you, you have decided the only thing that is an absolute requirement is it must be a manual transmission. You're pretty flexible in other regards. And then you have your Paul limiter budget. There it is again, $35,000. But your preference is the less you can spend, the more comfortable you'll be. So you feel like your personal sweet spot is around twenty five grand. So, okay. And then there is a, a, a list, a genuinely serious list of cars you've driven and have completely X'd off the list cars you're considering, and all the problems with each one of those. So it's an interesting conundrum here. I I love this email here. Uh, yeah, I'm looking this over. Nathan, I, uh, I read something in here in your email that stuck out to me, and it said you'd be open to it if it, were, if it was close to perfect. If the car that you got was close to perfect, <laughs> you'd be open to bumping up to 35K. Yeah, yeah. So, <clears throat> I know you don't want to spend that much more money, but we <laughs> want you to spend that much more money. <laughs> no, don't, 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 don't rope me in there with you. You read the thirty-five hey. grand and the excuse for the thirty-five grand, and went, "I'm going to thirty-five grand." I you don't know, want the happen. friends you associate with. You know, you're driving the getaway car, so I'm robbing the bank over here. But you're you're still driving the getaway car, so right, baby. you're culpable here. All right, keep going, keep going. All right. So this list of cars that Todd refers to is. Starting with things you don't like, which surprised both of us, a WRX, not, not feeling it. Okay, I, I understand. Well, and that's a car that's completely been removed for styling alone. You like yes. it, you get it, you see why it's a match, you can't get past the styling, so you've taken it entirely off the list for that. I mean, you've talked about this back and forth, Paul, and you're always right in this regard, and that is styling is that emotional connection to the object. And yeah. that is a huge factor in cars, and yeah. it's a huge factor in the person you fall in love with. It's the same kind of thing. You can stand two people next to each other, and one of them finds that girl more attractive than the other, or vice versa. It's just, it works that way. So it is fascinating when you can have a situation where you just can't get past the styling, and so it's off the list. A WRX is gone for that reason alone. I'm so fascinated. This is a random side note, everyone, but... Comparing cars to art and to the person you marry, art does something to you emotionally. It makes you feel a certain way and you just love it. And art will stay on your walls, the same piece, for years and years and years. And the person mm-hmm. you marry, yeah, they you know, look good to you, but you fall in love with their character and the way, you know, again, they make you feel and the, the connection and the bond. And that's why Hopefully. you see couples yeah. who are in their 90s that have been married for 50 or 60 years and looks have faded but they're still yeah. married, and it's still so amazing to all of us. And yet with our cars, those those qualities still apply because we want that emotional connection out of them. But sure, yet we're sure. willing to change them like our socks. And it's got to be <laughs> just something looks good and pleases my eye, and I'm bored with that now, and I'm changing. And we're willing to pay good money to do it too. What's well, up but, with that? Uh, but hang on. But hang on. You say what's up with that. We're leading that charge. Oh, We're yeah. the guys down here going, you can't change the person you're married to, and wow, art is expensive, and you know what? You're not going to sell your house next week. You know what you ought to do? Get a different car. We are those guys. Oh, yeah, you're we right. Are the president. <laughs> we the are the president thing. and vice president <laughs> of those guys. That's true. That's true. I, I didn't really think that through before I opened my big fat mouth. Yeah, you but, didn't um, think about the fact that you're making a, <laughs> you're making a commentary on what we do here. You're but, right. But the thing about it, though, is Dang it, I didn't think that through. <laughs> you really didn't. But but here's the thing, though. Cars cars are the rare big-ticket emotional item that you ultimately 
can change without that much consequence. And the reason I say that is, look, cars are a depreciating asset like everything else you buy, with the possible exception of your house. Pretty much everything else you buy is just, hey, look, it's worth, le- worth less than it was yesterday. But the nice thing about a car, I know this sounds weird, if you reach a place where you have a car payment that you're just used to that pain every month of this many hundred dollars goes out the door for your car, you've kind of reached a place where if you trade things out, your budget isn't affected, and yet your emotional state changes. That's actually not that bad a trade-off. That's not all of us, of course, but cars are in a rare category there where they are constantly improving in many ways, and you can trade them out without a lot of consequence, which there's a lot of things in life you trade it out, it's going to hurt. So I I see that. So you're saying we're in a consequence-free environment. That's fantastic news. Yeah, you who desperately needs a Paul limiter. Yeah, let's 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 not operate in a consequence-free environment. Let's get back uh, if sort of we can. Desperately work our way back but, to. Yeah, that's okay. Just to, a little to, bit to Nathan and his list. You know. Yeah, I hear you. No, I, I see where you're going. I see where you're going. But we encourage people to discard your car like your socks. Because why not? Because uh, why no, not? That's terrible. All right. That's terrible. Um, no. So Audis and BMWs just don't do anything for him. Uh, he just finds them bland. So, okay, Nathan, we've thrown out two brands entirely, which I find fascinating. You say the only Audis and BMWs that intrigue you the tiniest bit are the TT and the Z4, and they're kind of like fringe. Everything else is like, nope, don't care. And then the Focus RS, Fiesta ST, you're bringing both of those up to wipe out the entire hatch segment. You're using those (laughs) as the poster children and going, guys, no hatches. So I'm sitting here going, wow, this is not going well for us. And this is just the list of things that are off the table. Then there's the list of things you've looked at, and there's a problem with everyone. You know what this reminds me of? There was that episode of Friends forever ago that Chandler is having trouble. And I I know, look, maybe some of you have never even seen Friends, but trust me, it was a great show. Chandler is having trouble finding a woman to fall in love with, and everybody else gangs up on him and just says, let us walk you through the list of people you've dated and all of the reasons why you got rid of them. Every single one of his reasons is this petty little thing, and he can't get past it. And I feel that's where we are on a lot of the cars that he's considering here. Each one of them has a legitimate critique. But it's just like, okay, at some point we got to cave and go with a car that you are intrigued by and get over the problem. And like the FRS, guess what the problem is with the FRS? It's not powerful. That is the problem. And you're right. It, it, it isn't. But I will say you've asked the question, is it better with a tune? Wait about a week. We've got our review of that coming out where I take my – and you say you like it in orange. I take my orange FRS with the header and the exhaust. I add the tune on it from Open Flash Tablet. We put it up against a supercharged one. That's coming in about a week. So uh, look for that review. It is amazing to me, and, I, and I, I'm not trying spoiler alert here, but it is amazing to me that that engine is as tunable as it is, especially considering it is as anemic as it is from the factory. I would mm-hmm. expect if it's anemic yeah. from the factory, that means, you know what, there's just not anything there. And yet guys are pulling stuff out of it. I'm looking forward to sharing that piece. Yeah, that's going to be great. And I'm glad you brought that up. Uh, what else? Nathan, you brought up the Miata RF. Both Todd and I are really excited to drive that car too. And mm-hmm. I, I am wrestling with your list and trying to wrestle it to the ground. But if you'll stay with me, here's where I'm at for you. I know okay. you said you're only intrigued with Audi TTs and BMW Z4s. But would you be willing to consider a BMW M235i? I know hmm. that it's, you know, from a look standpoint, it doesn't really compete against those other two. It can not stand out to non-car enthusiasts. But Mike Shaw Subaru in Denver has a gray 2014 car for $34,000 with only 30,000 miles. I found one near you. And uh, something to consider. And the reason I say that is because both Todd and I like it so much. We've driven it on track extensively. We've you know, had a review of that with the S3, the Audi S3, and just mm-hmm. came away really, really enamored with that car. I, I will understand if you tell me no. And so I have a trick up my sleeve because the one comment you had here was, I've always loved Corvettes, but I've never considered the possibility of owning one this early in life. Nathan is 26, everyone. Mm -hmm. So you've kind of relegated that to the future. But I may have a solution for you because I found a C7, 2014 C7 Corvette Stingray, in yellow for $36,900. It's a seven-speed manual. 
It only has 9,715 miles on it. It lives at Executive Auto Gallery in Walnutport, Pennsylvania, if you're interested, and you said you'd hmm. be open to spending more if it was close to perfect, and I think that car is close to perfect for you because you've always wanted this Corvette. You could get the I do like new the fact one. that you've. I do like the fact that you've blown through the Paul limiter to get there, but I, but, but I will admit you haven't gone too far above, and you have found a car I'm really surprised you found at that price. Uh, okay, you all right. Gotta look hard, and with nine, under yeah. ten thousand miles, the car's practically brand new, and it's just a bit outside of your upper range. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, life is for living, Nathan. <laughs> 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 we are such terrible financial advisors. We are just awful. It's the worst thing ever. Yes. We could we could tell you how to blow your money and go into debt, but you know what? You love your car. That is why we're here. That is very true. Keep going. They'd probably take 36.5 and you'd I, I mean, do you like it in yellow, black interior, nearly brand new, 7-speed manual and it's the C7. It's the new chassis. It's the new everything. What do you think? What wow. do you think? I feel like I'm trying to sell people cars here, but mainly I'll just back off. It's just suggestions. It's just merely suggestions. I'm okay. curious to, right. to hear what you've got up your sleeve there. Well, I, I thought of a couple things here. I mean, you want to spend, you personally would like to spend no more than about twenty five grand, Nathan. Okay, all right. I do have to say, you, you, you mentioned the FRS uh, BRZ. You talked about how you like pretty much everything about it. You like the looks, you like the handling, you enjoyed being in it, you just wish it had more power. Okay, well, I feel like you can solve that by buying a used one of these for, at this point, less than 20 grand, putting a few, like two or 3,000 into it, and probably get the power to a place where, okay, it's not a rock star, but it's acceptable. And at that point, I go, if you like everything else about the car, and yet it's not a rock star in drag racing... Okay, I think that's a serious contender. I mean, you you talk about even the 370Z. You brought it up here. You drove it. You would, the first thing you said about it is not as agile and fun as the FRS. These are your words. So my comment is okay. So you gained power, but you did you got a car you didn't like in every other aspect. Is how I read this. So I'm intrigued by if the FRS BRZ and I don't say this as an owner. I really don't. If it's this close for you. And the problem you have with it is solvable. There's a part of me that just goes, so buy the car and solve the problem. <laughs> so I, 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 I right. do feel like that's, I do feel like that's a real front runner. You've also brought up the Porsche Cayman because you know we will, and you say you like kind of everything about it. You're concerned with the cost of upkeep. Uh, as the uh, look, I hate to say it, somebody brought it up recently. We at Everyday Driver pretty much all own a Porsche of some kind. Now, I don't do the backstroke <laughs> in the pool of Porsche, but I do own that used Porsche Cayenne. And I actually saw a week ago somebody posted a comment, because we read all the comments, on our Porsche Cayenne long term. They happened to watch the first one, and their only comment was, I would never buy a Porsche with 60,000 miles on it. And I just thought, wow, are you misinformed? Because, right, look, right. obviously, obviously, every car requires maintenance. But of the German automakers who sometimes have got spotty reliability, Porsche is always at the top of all automakers, like the top two or three as far as reliability is concerned. So while they are expensive at these service intervals, they aren't prone to just randomly break. So if you – I don't know what cost of upkeep you're willing to absorb, but if you were thinking about, okay, I could handle – like actual mileage maintenance I could plan for, if that's you, then there's really no reason to avoid the Cayman for cost of ownership because I think it's going to be less than you think because it's not going to be random breaking. But I understand, as a guy that pays to get a Cayenne serviced, it's not cheap. You just got to go independent and brace yourself. So I see that. Um, yeah, I mean, you just you did mention, I have to say, because uh, I'm that guy, how much you love the Lotus Elise and you shouldn't have driven it because you like it that much. All right, I can relate, my friend. I can fully relate. <laughs> but then the next breath, you just go, I can't make that work for my life. Okay, all right. So that puts me in a thinking of you and I are quite the same, Nathan, as far as the things that speak to us in cars. You like that FRS BRZ. You like the Lotus a lot, but it can't work for your life. I think you have to pull the S2000 into discussion. It's not even on this list. So where is it? I think that's got to be on the discussion. And then I have one other one that I wonder if it might be a real contender. 
I feel like it looks kind of like the FRS BRZ. It has some of the the sexier feel of the the Porsche Caymans of the world, and it's even a BMW. What about the Z4M Coupe? Mmm, I like this. I like this. Because you don't, you're you're looking for essentially an Audi or a BMW. The reason you're throwing them out is you don't feel like they've got enough personality in the styling. That's the one that almost wins that conversation for the last decade. That car's just great looking, and it's not common. And if you look at it, it has, in some ways, very similar profile lines to that FRS BRZ, but more powerful. So I think it's a I think it's worth looking at. I I'm going to put it in the wild card category, but I think you need to find one and drive it because I think it's a real contender and might surprise you with how much you like it. So that's the last one I'm going to add to your list, but I hope you'll consider it. Good stuff. Good stuff. Well guys, thanks for writing in. We really appreciate it. And uh we've got a few questions that we've opened up to all platforms that we are on, Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook included which we're mm-hmm. pulling from now. So watch for questions on all of those platforms. If you don't use Facebook or any of the others, hopefully there's uh, there's something for you there. And uh, like I said, we're pulling from all of those to start with. I'm curious to know uh, what you found that stood out that intrigued you. Well, I mean, I have to say on Instagram today, Chance posted uh, last year's uh, Everyday Driver podcast drinking game created by one of our longtime listeners, Mark Butler. And then right after Chance posted that to ask for questions on Instagram, then Mark, unbeknownst to us, posted us what he was calling the new and improved for 2017 Everyday Driver car debate drinking game. So you can find that on our Facebook page. It is quite ridiculously funny. Uh, candidly, because I start reading through this and going, yep, we keep saying that, don't we? <laughs> we so uh, if you want to know <laughs> all of the ways that when we get repetitive and it starts to annoy you, you can just drink yourself and forget uh, <laughs> this drinking game will serve you well or serve you terribly, depending upon who you are responsible for in your life. So Mark, uh, thank you. And I'm sorry all at once for spending your time doing this. <laughs> Oh, man. Well, uh, yeah, Mark, excellent job. Well done. Uh, I uh, had something that stood out to me, and that was Polyus, who asked us, what is the coldest temperature in which you've had to start your car? And he says that he had to start his at a negative 23 Celsius, so that's minus 9, almost minus 10 Fahrenheit, which is cold. That's very cold. Mm -hmm. It is. It is. But but (laughs) I think I can beat that. Okay. I can beat that recently. Oh, yeah. Last Friday, I, I took my son to school in the FRS. And, of course, you know, it takes a little bit of time because my car's parked inside. So I turn it on in the garage, and it's what? It, on the coldest, it's 30 or 40 degrees in there, the coldest. Right. You know, so it takes a while for the car to realize and tell me how really cold it is outside. When I, I dropped my son off at school, when I got back in my car and I cranked it up, I cranked it up right away, the temperature promptly said negative 21 Oh, that was Friday. That was last Friday. Negative 21. I have never been so happy for a good heater in that car. And here's what's funny. The heater in that FRS, partially because the cabin's smaller, but the heater in that FRS is far better than the heater that I had in that Saab 92X prior. <laughs> That's so 92X, funny. That 92X heater only worked if you were at a good RPM. The FRS heater works no matter what's happening. It works really well. And I have to tell you, I was thrilled by it. I actually even tweeted out that photo of that negative 21 on the dash because I was boggled to see that temperature. Well, I do think I can beat you both, but I'm not sure if it counts because it was my dad's car. But uh, at his uh, hey, house – I'm listening. At his house in Alaska, uh, this was a few years ago. I was there in minus 37 Fahrenheit, which is minus 38 Oof. Celsius. That's Oof. pretty cold. And it's my understanding, too, that the every 10 degrees in drop past zero, you can't feel the difference on your skin. It's just a factor of how quickly it freezes. So do be Yikes. careful. Uh, it's uh, pretty nuts. Pretty nuts. Um, <laughs> that's pretty cold. But, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm yeah, glad for your, for your little car's heater. Plus, you've got a little tiny interior on that thing, too. So Which know. helps. No, it absolutely helps. There's no question. Once it heats hair up dryer. in there, it, it does – it does really well. It almost could, yeah. I mean, that, yeah, by contrast, you know, the Cayenne doesn't feel like the heater's as warm, but it has those great heated seats, so it does, it is, uh, does work in that regard. Uh, Peter actually wrote into us and asked the top five worst things about our long-term cars, uh, which I think is an interesting question. I don't know if I've come up with five. I'd have to take some time and actually ponder this. 
but uh, I would actually say for sure the rear hatch opening button, the way it works and where it is in the Cayenne makes no sense whatsoever. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just, it's, I, I, I boggle at it as to why it doesn't work better than it does. Um, and uh, in the FRS, you actually mentioned, Peter, when you listed this question, you listed the placement of the FRS cup holders in the center console. Yes, if you put it in the front cup holder of the center console and you decide to shift into one of the uh, farther back gears, second or fourth or sixth, too quickly, your elbow will destroy that cup, whatever it is. So you do have to be aware of that. Nothing goes in the front. I've actually trained my son. Nothing goes in the front cup holder because I will hit it. Back cup holder, you're okay. I do hear that. That is a that is a worthwhile one. I'm trying to think of some other ones off the top of my head. But what do you have, Paul? Well, you'd think uh, you know I'd be all gaga about my Porsche and uh, nothing could ever go I would wrong. Think that, yes, but mm-hmm. I will say the. The top four slots are occupied by the fact that I can't drive it in winter, and that's my own fault because I haven't invested in winter tires for it. So it sits but on some tire cradles. But you got tire cradles instead. <laughs> oh. oh, tire cradles. I just – I have to shake my head at you. I have to. It's sitting in the, going. comfortably in the garage. But the, the number five oh. on there, if, if there was something I was going to complain about, interestingly, that came in GTS – for whatever reason, I think it's weight savings. It does not come with fender liners against the tops of the fenders. And hmm. when you drive through gravel, the sticky tires throw gravel up on the insides of those fenders, and it sounds like a hailstorm. And I'm thinking oh, sure. just yeah. for protection, yeah, yeah. maybe they do or maybe they're just very thin or something. But I hmm. guess weight savings again, and it, it sounds just terrible. It's super loud, and I think, well, what if I hit a really – big piece of gravel or rock and I get a dent from the inside out, it's a little concerning. And so I, I go real slow sure. speeds over, you know, places where I know it's gravel and and uh, it's it's kind of annoying, to be honest. It's it's kind of strange. I mean, once I get out of my neighborhood and it's fine, then, mm-hmm. you know, plenty of uh, <clears throat> lovely high speed is possible and the car's great. Yeah, that's but, shocking. Uh, mm-hmm. Anyway, it's, uh, it's a small complaint. It's tiny, but... It is there, so I I always creep out of my neighborhood. Anyway, whatever. Yeah, I know you do. The uh, the FRS is uh, you know honestly, I wish they would have done a little more sound deadening in the car. I mean, yeah, uh, you know, yeah. if the car the car weighs twenty seven hundred pounds, twenty seven hundred pounds in a modern car is nothing. What if it weighed twenty seven fifty and that extra fifty was sound deadening? <laughs> you probably Seriously. wouldn't complain. Yeah. No, I don't think anybody would complain. Fifty pounds in that car would be nothing. And you're so far below most cars' weight in modern cars, I think it would have been a worthwhile change in that car. If you were, you know, if you were flirting with, if we put more sound editing in, it'll break 3,000 pounds, I could see you arguing. But at 2,700? Come on, guys. Where's the sound deadening role? Let's put a little more in there. Come on, just a smidge. Mm-hmm. I agree. I'm with you. Uh, what else? Uh, scrolling through the list here. Good questions here. Good questions. Yeah, lots of good questions. Actually, I've got one off of Twitter. Uh, Shane Addy wrote in on Twitter and said, I, <laughs> I have a terrible answer for this, Shane, because my answer will only get you into financial trouble. But it does answer <laughs> your question. What is the cheapest way to get the GT car experience, including something comfortable, fast, stylish, and makes you feel special? You know the car that jumped to my mind? The BMW 850. Whoa! It will simultaneously, I mean, they're so unbelievably cheap now. It's almost criminal. They're they're staggeringly cheap. The problem is because you will then spend probably the rest of your life and finances keeping it running. But I mean, that is a that was a top of the line GT car. You can get it in V8. You can get it in V12. You want to really burn your wallet every day. Get the V12. But uh, so I think it's like the 840 for the V8 and the 850 for the V12. But either way, those cars are ridiculously cheap. They are not common. They have a special feel and look about them. They are absolutely GT cars. That is the first one that jumped to my mind. Wow. Wow. I I'm kind of with you. That's I haven't thought about that car for years. That's yeah, they, and I I hear the V12 is a money pit too. Oh, if if you really would just like to burn dollar bills, buy yourself a used 850. I mean, that's just <laughs> done. Problem solved. But 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 all that to say the 840 can only be better, right? But um but at the same time, I mean, those 8 series have just dropped to nothing 
So I think that's that that wins for me as far as discussing it. Wow, that's pretty good. Well, I wanted to touch on a question that I went digging for research. It's a question on Facebook from Casey Cook. It's a very simple question with a complex answer. And he uh -oh. asks, is the FF91 the Dale of our time? And I wasn't sure what that okay. meant until I found this interesting article about the 20th Century Motor Car Corporation. Now, it's not to be confused with the 20th Century Motor Company, which was a fictional company in the book Atlas Shrugged. This company was real that was started by a con artist, a female con artist, who designed a car named after its designer. It was, his name was Dale Clift. And he designed this three-wheel car, and she started this company and disappeared with all the investors' money. And mm -hmm. so what he's asking here is the FF91 going to be that story. And Casey, I say I hope not. After spending the week at CES 2017 in Las Vegas, I saw that car up close. And I, I saw Nick Sampson. There was Richard Kim, the designer. There they were right there getting interviews, all this kind of stuff. It's the new hotness. They're nowhere close to production with this car. And they're celebrated mm. as seen if it, they that's are. your assess assessment? Interesting. Interesting. They're just yeah. You haven't really talked about what you thought seeing it up close. You you think it's you think it's still a ways off, huh? I I really do. And then I think yes, they've sort of redefined the class of car that it is. It's not really a car or an SUV or a truck. It's neither of those things. And I just wonder yeah. if once we're past the you know, just the novelty of it being an electric car and having a thousand horsepower and, you know, all this range, it's great. I'm not sure people are going to look at that and figure out how to fit it into their lives because it's, mm. it's looks kind of small on the inside for such a large car. It's only a four seater with a really, yeah, to my, to my hmm. eye, to what I could see, they weren't opening the doors or anything, but, and, and when it's still sitting kind of far away from the audience, you could not actually walk up to it and nobody oh, was really? sitting in interesting. it. interesting. Okay. Maybe right. some other people did and I think there might be photos of us, some other journalists that did, but whatever. They were keeping people a good 20 feet from the car and I'm thinking, mm. all right, I, uh, I hope so because they have really brought the noise and they're all everybody can talk about, but if they yeah. do go bankrupt, if they do go belly up, that's 1,400 professionals that are out of a job that have left their prior car company to join this one. And yeah. I'm, I worry about that just well, for their livelihoods and for the scam that that would turn out to be. That'd be awful. Well, but back to the – it would be. Back to the Dale thing, though, that Casey's bringing up. I mean that was a straight-up con. It was a guy on the run that – is dressing as a woman and is trying to con money to keep moving things forward. I mean, there's lots of other details about it. You could look it up and find more. But that's that's kind of the, the basic bones of it. The difference here is we're already dealing with a billionaire. And as I said before, a billionaire in a hoodie because he's just like you and me. <laughs> that's true. But, you we know, can, we're we already dealing with a billionaire. Totally. So he, yeah, I can totally relate. Yeah, he and I are, yeah, we're buds. Anyway, <laughs> but we're dealing with a, a billionaire in a hoodie, okay? So he clearly has money to burn, I come back to what I was before. I think the car is a piece of a larger puzzle of positioning. And I think it's data, and it may be other things we haven't seen yet, but I think a car is a piece of a puzzle to put them on the map and gain ground in other areas. I don't think that the car is necessarily trying to be a con to make money. I think the car is an entrance into where they really want to be. And where that is, I think, is TBD. You know, their co-partner or mothership or parent company, Le Eco. The Chinese yeah. startup also that, that's related to Faraday somehow, I'm still unclear, mm -hmm. they showed off their own design for a car at CES along with an entire pavilion that was filled with televisions and headphones, uh, little cameras that looked exactly like GoPro knockoffs. They had electric bicycles. They had phones. Wow. All wow. this stuff that was Le Eco brand, L-E-E-C-O. And I just hmm. thought, wow, and now it's a car, and I can't speak highly of the car. I really didn't like it, didn't like the interior at all. And they're, yeah, they're, they're sort of using us, I guess. They're using us. I don't know. I, I, I don't feel that way about too many companies, but I do about Le Eco. Hmm. 
Interesting. I, Interesting. Okay. I don't know. I just kind of okay. wandered through, and it was this whole ecosystem, and that's the whole point. And I just thought, I didn't get the greatest feeling well, ever. But back to the whole data capture thing of Faraday. I mean, this seems to be a company whose business model is to capture a consumer, and they never leave their ecosystem the entire – after we get them, they don't have to go away for anything. And look, I like Apple products, but I have plenty of products in my life that aren't Apple. Okay. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I use Google. I use Amazon. These are all places that theoretically could capture me and keep me. And not, I wouldn't, I mean, if I was, I could have all Amazon related products and never stray from that ecosystem. I've got a, little, a lot of these various things. I feel like the eco and all of this is, it's all about capturing a consumer and they never leave. And you, I hate to say it, have kind of trapped them in their, you, you are now tied to their ecosystem so many ways you can't get out. Your car, your TV, your headphones, and it's sold as a, everything transfers, but the dark side of it, and I know I'm being total conspiracy theorist nut right now, but the dark side of it is we have you, we own you. Mm-hmm. And I, I, feel, I still feel like that's the play, and I think the car is a piece of that puzzle. Mm-hmm. Well, super On that quick cheery here. note... <laughs> <laughs> Super quick uh, question from Jason Meyer asking about the F-150 being offered in a diesel engine now. And would the VW diesel emission scandal have a negative impact on sales of a diesel F-150 Ford? No. They're truck buyers. Truck buyers and diesels mm-hmm. are peanut butter and jelly. I don't that's a think good point. so yeah, at That's all. a very good point. Very different. But I, his second mm-hmm. question here is, would we consider talking about more – pickups and SUVs in the future, and I will not say no. Todd and I have had those discussions, even some uh, some smaller, lighter SUVs, especially in the snow here in Utah, because that's what people buy. That's what you want to drive. I mean, we're, we're both perfect mm-hmm. examples of that. And so we're considering it, Jason, and uh, put that out to all of you. So if that's uh, something that you want to see more of. Now, we're, we don't tow anything. We don't have boats or, you know, trailers full of horses and that kind of thing. So we're not really well, that market, but... Trucks yeah. and SUVs are an interesting and huge segment of the buying public, so I, I will not say well, no. that's yeah. I mean, that's the part of the uh, that's the part of the of the world that is growing. You know, there was there was an article recently about the fact that the Camry and Corolla are dropping on the most sold cars list, not because they deserve to, no, no, because they're being misplaced or, or displaced, I should say, by these smaller SUVs. The problem that we have with the SUV truck world is that generally we're trying to find cars that are driver-involved and fun to drive, and often SUVs and trucks do not accomplish that. They're utilitarian, as their nature suggests. They're good for many things, but you don't get into them and think, this is a fun driving experience. That's often not the case. Now, that, those lines are blurring, which is one of the things that makes it interesting to Paul and I because the, that segment is growing. It's becoming more and more common, and people are concerned more and more with making these SUVs. Look, the Macan is the obvious poster child, but there's the Mercedes GLA. I mean, there's lots of others in this world. Even the Mazda CX-5 we talk about because these are SUVs, technically, CUVs, if you will, that feel fun to drive and chuckable like a car. So as the world's blur we feel like we got to discuss that at least somewhat yeah agreed agreed all right finally we should wrap up we've been going like crazy here always pushing the boundaries aren't we always pushing the time limit (laughs) and the budgets so thanks for being with us (laughs) (laughs) yes everyone thank you so much really appreciate it we look forward to talking to you later this week but in the meantime cheers